Hey there, and welcome to episode one of the Lady Parts Podcast. I'm your host, Nika, and I'm so excited that you're joining me today. To kick things off, we're going to dive right into the inspiration behind the show. We'll explore what you can expect to hear on season one of the podcast, and then I'll share my personal journey with uterine fibroids. I'll also sprinkle in a couple of fun facts about myself along the way. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get started. So, what is the Lady Parts Podcast? Well, for starters, the name is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. When I think of Lady Parts or even the term ladylike, I picture this antiquated version of an etiquette class with somebody just essentially policing women's actions or bodies. So I figured why not reclaim that word? Lady Parts is all about destigmatizing the female body and removing shame. And how we're doing that is by sharing brave stories from women. The topics we're going to cover include a little bit of everything from sexual and mental health, wellness, self-love, self-gentleness, and the power of sisterhood. Diving a little bit deeper, some of the topics we've already touched on include fibroids and PCOS, we plan on exploring abortion and sexual traumas, early detection and what's normal and why advocating matters. Um, essentially, we also want to share stories from women or female identifying folks who've started communities or programs to make space for themselves while holding space for others. What this podcast is not is medical advice. And I'm happy to share my own story and the stories of these other brave women. But if you think something may be wrong, you should definitely seek out the attention of a medical or wellness expert. So I hope you're excited to go on this journey with me. I'm definitely excited for you to be a part of it. Be sure to comment, subscribe, and all that jazz to let me know your thoughts. If you want to shoot me an email, feel free to do that by sending it to helloladyparts at gmail.com. That link again is helloladyparts at gmail.com. You can also send me a voicemail at anchor.fm backslash ladyparts. That's anchor.fm as in Frederick and Mario <laughs> backslash ladyparts. So now that you know what the podcast is about, let me go ahead and share a little bit of my story. Um, it's worth mentioning, I'm not going to get super deep on this, just because I do plan on having an episode that particularly addresses the subject matter a bit more. But for the sake of introducing myself and letting you know who I am and who's essentially talking to you through the airwaves, <laughs> I thought this was important to include. So I am a cisgendered pansexual woman of color. I live in the New York City area and I work in the nonprofit sector. Um, outside of work, I typically create a lot of empowering events for people of color and women of color specifically. Um, I volunteer a lot at animal shelters and am a crazy dog lady. Um, in my spare time, I love surprising my friends and family with random haikus. So in terms of my lady parts, my story began in late 2016, early 2017, when during a routine pap smear, my primary care physician could not find my cervix. 
to be completely transparent, I was also experiencing a bit of discomfort in my abdominal region. It just felt very hard and I couldn't figure it out. But, you know, I just thought this must be normal. It must be in my head and just wrote it off. So after visiting with my PCP, I went to go see my gynecologist who also could not find my cervix. Um, essentially, it was like a game of Where's Waldo, but the kind you don't want to play. <laughs> uh, so from there, I went to go get an MRI and a transvaginal ultrasound, which ultimately led to the discovery of a 15 centimeter fibroid growing in my uterus. For size comparison, think of a cantaloupe, something in that general vicinity. Um, and I know there's probably a lot of questions like, how did you not know that there was a huge thing growing and all that jazz? But honestly, I've always been on the heavier side. So being used to being overweight, I was just like, oh, it's probably weight gain. There was also a lot of internalized shame around it. Um, and to be completely transparent, you know, a lot of my symptoms weren't things that I was not used to experiencing. For example, really heavy periods are something that I've been dealing with since I was about 12. Um, so yes, <laughs> it was not the best discovery, but I was glad to know what it was. So essentially, before we go into it, you might be wondering, what are fibroids? Well, according to the Mayo Clinic, uterine fibroids are non-cancerous growths on your uterus that often appear during childbearing years. They also refer to fibroids as myomas, and they aren't associated with any increased risk of uterine cancer, and they almost never develop into it, but their sizes do range from very small, almost microscopic, to really huge and big enough to distort uh, your uterus, um, which is exactly what mine was doing. My uterus was actually twice as big as it should have been, and um, it even reached up to my rib cage. So yeah, fun times. <laughs> um, women often experience fibroids during their childbearing years, but some women don't have any symptoms at all. To dive a little bit deeper on that, there are three different kinds of fibroids. There's subserosal, submucosal, and intramural. And the difference really is depending on where they're growing. Intramural usually grows on the outside of your uterus on a stem, Submucosal usually grows inside of your uterus, like fully inside, and subserosal is usually half in, half out with no stem. Uh, subserosal, that last one, is the one that I had. Essentially, it was on my right side, and I was at a point where I was even having pain when exercising because I couldn't do um, like the cobra position in yoga. I couldn't lay on my stomach because it was painful. It felt like I was laying on a volleyball, and essentially I really was. Um, so let's talk symptoms. My symptoms were extremely long and heavy painful periods. I think right before surgery, they were up to two weeks long, which led to serious anemia. <laughs> I was popping iron pills like nobody's business because, um, you know, that amount of blood loss really affects you in various ways. Um... Painful sex was also another symptom. I remember uh, spotting every time I would have sex with my partner. Um, 
frequent urination and not feeling like you're emptying your bladder was something I experienced. And from the anemia, I should also I should also mention I developed pica, which is when you are craving things that don't have any nutritional value because of your anemia. So for me, it was ice. And any of my friends can attest to the fact that sometimes I would go out and I would just want a huge like glass of ice, no water, no food. I would just be craving ice. Thankfully, since having this removed, I do not have pica anymore. It's kind of crazy to me to look back and think of just how much I was craving. It was more than food sometimes. And I would even salivate at the thought of it, but you know, hormones. <laughs> so essentially, um, fibroids typically impact women who are, as we mentioned in their childbearing years, also women who are overweight, particularly the obese category. Um, it is genetic in terms of if it runs in your family, it's a much higher risk that you will have it. Um, it's also much higher in African-American women. I think we're something like, oh, I have to find this. I have to find the statistics and I will put it in the show notes, but it is much, much higher than our Caucasian counterparts. Um, also eating habits impacts it. If you eat a lot of red meat, you're at higher risk for fibroids, most likely due to the hormones that these animals are ingesting. Um, and your age, uh, when you're in your... 30s and your 40s through menopause, um, you're usually at higher risk. And then in menopause, for most women, fibroids shrink, probably because of the decrease in estrogen. So diving deeper into that idea of shame, I want to talk about the things I tried on my own before really scheduling my surgery. Um, from a series of Google searches and discussions with family and friends. I tried a little bit of everything. I used castor oil packs, which essentially are getting some kind of fabric and putting it on the area where your fibroid is and using heat from a heating pack to try to impact the fibroid. Um, I tried a plant-based diet, just cutting out meat completely. Um, I did vaginal steaming, which is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> um, I ordered some, it's kind of like a tea, honestly, because it's leaves and flowers and you're supposed to put it in very hot water and you're supposed to stand over it and let this, or, you know, sit over it, crouch over it, however you want to put it, squat, <laughs> and let the steam uh, I don't want to use the word penetrate, but that's what's coming to mind. Let the steam penetrate your lady parts for 15 minutes to half an hour. I've also tried water fasting and intermittent fasting. Water fasting is completely just taking out food altogether for a predetermined amount of time. And intermittent fasting is pretty much uh, bigger chunks of fasting windows within your day. So for example, from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. you can be eating and from 8 p.m. until 12 p.m. the next day you might be fasting. I have also tried essential oils. That one was a little different. Essentially I was using um, certain oils and diluted them, put them on a 
on a pad and wore that to try to draw out any negative toxins or what have you. I tried acupuncture, which was hella uncomfortable because as I described before, laying on my stomach for prolonged periods of time felt extremely uncomfortable. So imagine that plus needles. <laughs> it was not the funnest experience in the world. And last but not least, I also tried Reiki and bodywork. That one was particularly calming. However, I don't think it had any actual impact on the fibroid. Um, if anything, it just made me more aware of my actual body and allowed me to de-stress when, when every other time that I was going through this process, I felt pretty tense and aware of what was going on. It really let me relax and out of all of those things, I would say the ones that I'm still doing now, just personal preference, not, not necessarily because of the impact or lack thereof on the fibroid, is eating more plant-based. Um, I'm still intermittent fasting. I use essential oils, but not in the same way. <laughs> and I still do incorporate body work into my own wellness practice. So you might think... It must have been smooth sailing from the time that I found out about the fibroid to booking the surgery and all of that, right? I wish it was smooth sailing. Honestly, I felt so uncomfortable with all of the providers I had during that time. My primary care physician was great, but the gynecologist I went to made me feel really uncomfortable. When I went to go see this particular person, I felt much more like a lab experiment on a table than a human being. It's not something you ever want to experience with your medical practitioners and something that I was just braving at the time. Honestly, I was like, okay, well, this person's a professional. They know what they're talking about. It's fine. They do this all the time. And I made excuses for them when what I should have been doing was advocating for myself. The gynecologist's referral of my surgeon was also a toss-up. This woman was very nice, the surgeon, and she seemed personable on the first visit. But when I went back for the pre-surgical checkup, she didn't even come in the room. She left me with her assistant the whole time. She completely forgot to address other parts of the procedure. I literally had to run down the hall and you know, flag her down to ask about it. And I was with my partner who was completely turned off by this person because of the lack of care that was shown. But again, I was in that mind of like, you know, this is a surgeon, this is a medical professional. They do this all the time. And of course, I'm not special or what have you. It's all in my head. And just centering the comfort of everyone else and their well-being or what have you and disregarding my own. Now, to add another layer, I also have a pre-existing condition, which I'll also talk about on another episode of this podcast, but to make a long story short, I had to see a specialist for this pre-existing condition and get clearance from them before getting the surgery. So again, I went to somebody who didn't make me feel totally comfortable but I was like, okay, you know, it, I'm used to this doctor thing now. This is just how they are, blah, blah, blah. And inside, I was a hot mess. I was freaking out and I didn't at one point feel comfortable um, to the point where it 
got to the day before the surgery and I was having a full-blown panic attack. My partner was also nervous and trying to calm me down with similar sentiments that I've expressed, like, oh, they know what they're doing. This is fine. It's routine for them. It's really quick procedure, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I felt it in my soul. Like, it wasn't okay. Thankfully, I don't know if that's really the right word. Maybe as luck would have it. Um... The specialist that I went to go see never signed their name to the paperwork. And when I called their office the day before the surgery, because that's when my surgeon let me know, like, hey, we need the sign off. When I called the office, there was a whole big to do. And the doctor, uh, the specialist, rather, once they understood that they had to sign their name to this, their whole story changed. It was like, oh, well, you know, I gave you clearance, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe you should come back in and we should do more testing because you could be okay with surgery or you could have this and die, which is such a drastic shift from you're okay, go ahead and have this procedure to, oh, I'm liable if something happens to you. No, we need more testing. It really, it solidified what I was feeling internally that I was not safe with these people, that I did not want to do this procedure at this time. And I was able to cancel the procedure because clearly this doctor was not going to sign off on it. And while I had it on hold, I talked to my partner and I said, let's do this again. This is a blessing that I didn't go through this because Lord knows what would have happened. And I really took that to heart. The second time around, I researched all of the medical professionals. I I got a new primary care physician because unfortunately things didn't work out with that previous one. I researched and found a fantastic gynecologist who also happens to be a surgeon. Um, This like, I've never felt more comfortable with a doctor and the night and day of both of those was just epic. I walked in and had my partner with me at that first consultation and wasn't even ready to book anything. I was like, okay, let's, let's have a consultation. Let's see if I feel comfortable with this person. But this person not only made me feel like a human being, but answered every single question I had before I could ask it. They asked my partner if they had any questions. They very calmly and just organically walked me through the procedure. Um, It was I mean, when I say night and day, I don't even know how else to put it. It was an incredible experience. And I felt so comfortable that I booked the appointment with them that day. Not the surgery, but I booked an appointment for the surgery. I think it was about maybe three months out from the date I saw that person. So moving forward, I also found a different specialist. And this specialist actually was the person who initially diagnosed me with my pre-existing condition. So I'd already felt comfortable with them and built a rapport they explained and expressed that they don't know what the other doctor was talking about, which both made me feel happy and really confused. Um, But they signed off on the procedure and I was able to go into the surgery at last in the summer of 2019. By that point, my fibroid was 17 centimeters, which is about the size of a volleyball. Thankfully, the surgery went off beautifully. I felt comfortable in the hands of everyone who was helping me at the hospital. And it took longer than expected. I think the surgery took about four hours. 
there weren't any complications, but, or at least my surgeon expressed that there weren't any huge complications, but for whatever reason, it just took longer. And it might be the size of the actual fibroid. After the surgery, when I was transferred to my room, the doctor came in, uh, the surgeon <laughs> came in and checked on me, answered all of my questions and told me how the surgery went. I maybe saw him two more times while I was in the hospital. I think I was in the hospital for a total of three days before I went home to recuperate for six weeks. Uh, and even during the six weeks, there was a point where he called and checked in just to make sure I was okay, that I was healing properly. And at the six week mark, I had my post-surgery check-in so he could check the stitching and make sure I was healing properly. Now, it might be worth mentioning that because of the size of my fibroid, the cut could not be done laparoscopically. It was an open myomectomy, which means I was cut maybe about 12 inches horizontally on my lower abdomen. Um, it's healing quite beautifully. And one of my good friends refers to the incision as my baby zipper. <laughs> so I'm actually really happy with how everything turned out. I took those six weeks of healing to really get reacquainted with myself, to practice mindfulness and meditation, to be gentle with myself, and to understand how my body was acclimating with everything shifting back in place. Because if you think about it, if you put a volleyball in the middle of your body, your organs are shifted out of place. So feeling that realignment and getting grounded during that time just meant everything. In fact, I got so accustomed to tuning in with myself and being in line with myself that when it was time to go back to work and get back to a normal routine, it seemed so abstract to me. Um, I was extremely cautious as I was lifting things because you are not supposed to lift heavy things during that time, as you might imagine. Um, but it took some time. It really did take some time getting to know myself again and getting to relearn what my stamina was. But now it's night and day. It has been about six, six months since my surgery. And not only has the physical healing been great, but there is a lot of emotional healing that happened as well. Some folks believe that fibroids are actually things that we don't birth into the world. That could be our creativity. That could be us pushing things down and holding on to them. It could be chances we don't take. And I identify as much more of an extroverted person. Oh my goodness. And I identify as much more of an introverted person. And oftentimes as an introvert, there are things that scare me into complacency. Like, I don't want to do it. I'm okay. It's all right. Next time, next year, next month. And post-surgery Nika is a whole different person. I take so many more chances now. And I don't want to say take every chance because there are still things that scare me. I'm only human. But I didn't travel before. I had a whole host of reasons why I couldn't or I didn't or what have you. And I have traveled outside of the country I've gone hiking in the rainforest. I, you know, I've tried so many things that were just completely foreign to me. 
And I'm excited about new things and new chances and opportunities in a way that I wasn't before. Maybe it's that fear of, you know, am I going to make it through this procedure? Does this mean, you know, life or death? Um, Maybe it was that first surgical experience of putting my life in the hands of people I did not trust and being so complacent that I might have, you know, I don't want to say passed away, but who knows what would have happened with that first procedure. This is just, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And I'm so excited for what comes next. But along that entire journey of me figuring out everything with this fibroid and grounding myself and seeking wellness professionals, I spoke to other women. I talked to coworkers and colleagues. I talked to friends and family. I talked to friends of friends. And the amount of doors and stories that opened up to me from just starting conversations with women who otherwise would not have shared these things with me was so impactful and so inspirational for me. So Lady Parts is a place where I'm able to share those stories, where I'm able to amplify their voices and their experiences and share that with all of you. I've heard everything. I don't want to say everything. That's kind of setting the bar kind of high, but I've heard so much about women who have either gone through PCOS or cystic fibrosis or, you know, multiple sclerosis, women who have had miscarriages and abortions, women who have had IUDs inserted or who have been on different kinds of pills, who've had all kinds of medical and, you know, sexual health experiences. And I really want to share that. I not only want to share their stories, but I would love to share yours. I know I mentioned earlier that you can email me or leave a voice message to contact me directly, but I really mean that. I want this to be a collaboration because one thing I've learned throughout this entire experience is this is not just my journey or her journey or their journey. This is our journey and it's just the beginning. So I hope you're excited. I hope you're inspired in some way. I hope you reach out because I'd love to hear from you. Uh, And I also hope you're having a great International Women's Day if you're listening to this on launch day. But most of all, I want to say welcome to the Lady Parts Podcast.